from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On Next Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Fox. As always, I'll be joined by my co-host, Rocky. Do not steal my pecans before our Duck South writer in residence, Josh Webb. And today we've also got a very special guest with us from Delta Wildlife, biologist Dan Prevost. Dan, Rocky, Josh, great to be on here with all you guys today. <laughs> that was the best Rocky introduction we've had all year. <laughs> that, that was great. I, I I had to mute my phone because I was laughing so hard. Uh, but it's great. it's great to be here with everybody. Dan, it's awesome to have you today, bud. Well, thank you for having me. You know, hey, listen, I know I said this before we started, but I, I want the listeners to hear. If if pecan stealing had a rut, man, there are some swollen necks right now, buddy. There are some <laughs> oh, it would, it would be on right now. Yeah. <laughs> it is in full effect right now. Have you caught any this week? Yeah, I actually caught one yesterday. You know what his name was? Larry. His name was Bone. And Bone, let me tell you, Bone had two teeth in his whole mouth. Hey, man, who who gave you permission to be out here? Oh, Larry told me I could come pick up these cons. I said, well, Larry don't own any land around here. He said, uh, <laughs> well, who do I need to get permission from? I said, me. And uh, he said, well, you care if I pick up any of these pecans? <laughs> and, uh, and uh he was an older guy. I kind of felt sorry for him, so I let him go on and pick up pecans. I, I, I'm <laughs> sick of trying to keep people off of it, but pecan stealing season is in full rut right now. <laughs> yeah, Rocky, it's this wide open. You know, that's what I was telling uh, right before we started, Jay Paul, is, is right before I – I got to the house and, and and called in, you know, for the podcast. Uh, yeah, I caught three my after the myself this afternoon. So it, it the the pecan stealing rut is I'm right there with Rocky. It's wide open right now. <laughs> Dan, down at Delta Wildlife, do you have to worry about pecan poachers? Believe it or not, we had uh, somebody come in the office yesterday uh, afternoon asking for permission. They were they were politely uh, declined, as a matter of fact. <laughs> 
Well, you know, if nothing else, it is it is a little bit of some economic development going on because we've got some uh, you know some side of the road guys that are springing up here and there this time of year. You know, collecting pecans, and I'm sure they're brokering off and and making a cut. So yeah, we got some some economic development, some jobs happening. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, the Delta guess, definitely needs economic development. I'm glad to hear that, you know, some <laughs> of it's going on anyway. That's right. Well, listen, Dan, I know that a lot of our listeners are very familiar with uh, Delta Wildlife, but a lot of them probably aren't also. So uh, before we really get into full swing talking about duck hunting and biology and stuff, tell us a little bit uh, about Delta Wildlife and exactly what your role is. Please. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, Delta Wildlife was formed back in 1990. Uh, you know, we're a nonprofit conservation group similar to Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl, uh, except that our focus is strictly on northwest Mississippi, uh, the Delta. Um, and, and there's about 18 counties that contain part of the Delta. We work some in the hills as well. Um, but they really wanted an organization where the staff could focus just on this area um rather than, than being spread out with other interests across the state and other areas and so so my role uh i'm a mississippi state grad uh yeah go dogs about that rocky you like that game last weekend by the way <laughs> but uh no. But no, so. hey next rib you punch me in make sure it's not the lower rib make sure it's one of those upper ribs <laughs> yeah. i hear you i hear you but no so you so need I, to work for delta wildlife and be a biologist you didn't have to go to college anywhere uh, well, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. No, but my my background from Mississippi State uh, was in forestry and wildlife, and you know, with uh, with with that option, you you kind of get the, the best of both worlds. Um, and so I I came out I, as a as a forester, as a wildlife biologist, and uh, hired on with Delta Wildlife in 2007, and uh, it's been a, a very very rewarding job. Uh, I get to. You know, I get to provide honest um, advice to our membership to really help them achieve their goals. You know, um, you know a membership of Delta Wildlife is open to anybody. $45 a year will get you a membership. Uh, and, you know, I mean, 45 bucks a year to get the services of, of basically a consultant biologist is, is not a bad deal. And, uh, you know, I know if you don't like what I tell you and if you're not a member anymore, well, that's not going to make us or break us, but uh, you know that kind of gives me the freedom just to give you. It gives me the freedom to be to be honest and to give you really unbiased professional advice. Let me ask you this: just just some examples of some benefits of joining Delta Wildlife. So uh, you know a lot of what we do. Um, yeah, let's just say that you have a you know a property that you own, manage, or lease, and you want some advice on how to improve it for for waterfowl habitat. Uh, you know, we can come out, we can, you know, we, we provide information and resources. And so information, it may be management advice, such as, you know, when to draw down a particular impoundment, uh, you know, for moist soil, or it may be a, you know, an RTK GPS survey to look at drainage and hydrology to figure out how to design duck hole. Uh, we have programs such as our pipe program where we, we can, uh, it's not an ongoing program, but when we have it available, we can we can provide you know water control structures, steel pipes, flashboard risers, free of charge. You know the the members just uh, responsible for for picking them up, putting them in, and then managing them. Uh, you know managing water levels, put taking in boards, putting uh, you know put in boards, taking them out. Um, 
let's see, we have a seed, a habitat seed program um, where we work with, you know, Monsanto, Syngenta. Uh, we provide seed, corn, soybeans, milo uh, at a very, very discounted uh, rate. I think our Roundup Ready corn this year was about $35 a bag, um, which if you're planting, uh, you know, that's you know when you're normally looking around two hundred dollars a bag, that's a, that's a pretty big savings right there. So, uh, wow! I'd say those are probably some of our top our, our top uh, services that we're able to provide. That's a pretty impressive list. What does um, talking about membership, Dan? Has it been? I mean, I know how those you know, a lot of organizations kind of you know see upticks at different times of the year and everything. Is this a particular? busy time of year as far as new members coming on board or is it spring or is it just kind of is it, is it kind well, of you know pretty steady across the year it's really pretty steady across the year you know we um uh, we used to uh back in the through the 90s we had an expo in, in, in greenville uh that kind of went to the wayside and so now you know um every couple of years we, we have a well delta wildlife we have a, a committee structure we have a committee for everything we've got a waterfowl committee we have a membership committee and uh, you know, from time to time, uh, me- members in, in a certain location, whether it be the, you know, the Jackson area, or the Clarksdale area, or the Greenwood area, they'll say, "Hey, let's have a, let's have a membership meeting." And they're a little bit different from a lot of other meetings in that we don't ask you for any money. We're going to invite you to come eat a very nice dinner, and we're going to tell you what we do. And uh, if you think it's for you, you're welcome to join. If not, you just got a nice dinner on on the house. So uh, it's pretty steady overall, to answer your question. Yeah, and that, I, that's what I assumed. Um, and uh, but I, I wanted to, make, you know, to see that because, like I said, some people, uh, you know, compared to some of the bigger organizations, um, or I say bigger, like the more nationally known NWTF, obviously sees a big, you know, uptick in the spring and stuff like that. But Delta mm-hmm. Wildlife covers things 365 days a year, and right. uh, so it's really cool that that with the membership you know, sticks right there with it. Right, right. Hey, Dan, how how do people go about joining Delta Wildlife that are listening to this podcast? The easiest way, uh, just you can Google Delta Wildlife, go to uh, www.deltawildlife.org, and uh, there's a link right there on the homepage. Cool. No, Dan, well, look, been, you and I have been talking over the past, past couple of days, and we're going to talk about a couple of things today because I, I'm just going to, I'm going to go on and puff Dan up before we start talking, but Dan is one of the smartest duck hunting guys that I know. So be Easy prepared enough. for some <laughs> be prepared for some knowledge to be dropped. But, hey, Dan, the first thing I want to talk to you about is a duck's diet. Now, mm-hmm. when the ducks start off up north to when they come down here in the southern part of the flyway, can you talk a little bit about how a duck's diet changes as they come further south? Well, I, I'm honestly not going to go into a lot of detail because there are a lot of other people that could do a whole lot better job. Um, but, I mean, basically, their needs are going to change. I mean, by the time they get down here, um, they've expended a lot of energy getting here, and they need energy. And they're also going to start thinking about packing on some uh, fat reserves so that for their return trip back up north uh, to begin the – uh, the brooding and the nesting, they're going to depend on those fat reserves, you know, to carry them through. And it's really hard to talk a lot of specifics because every species of duck is going to be a little bit different. 
And that kind of that kind of plays into the conversations that you and I have had about the complexity of the whole situation and and how it's you know hard to really talk about one specific thing and and you know um, that'll really lead into to kind of where I hope we would start the conversation is with kind of wetland complexes and just really the the diversity of needs that waterfowl have and how we how we meet that. I, I, well, I tell you what, I'm gonna, I'll pose it to you a different way. Let me pose you okay. a different question. All right. I'm the richest guy in Mississippi. I say, mm-hmm. Dan, here's a thousand acres. Part of it is mixed ground. Part of it's gumbo. I'm giving it to you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come twice a year, Dan. I want you to build the ultimate duck hunting place. Now, I know that that is a really general question. But what are we going to do to make that the ultimate duck hunting spot? Uh, and, and let's I'm... just say, let's let's just say for you know for question's sake that, that the place has history of duck hunting, ducks being right. on it. Okay. Right. Right. The very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you where it's located, and I'm going to get on the computer and I'm going to go to Google Earth, and I'm going to zoom in to that location, and then I'm going to look. And I, I'm going to start within about a three-mile perimeter uh, or radius of that location. I'm, I'm going to look and see what all type, what all kind of habitat types we have in the area. And Google Earth Pro has this really nice function where you can look back through time at historical area, aerial images. So you can see things like, you know, what kind of ground is flooded. Uh, you know, I mean, just you know, looking at some of these properties, you may be able to look at. You know, four, five, six different years of winter. Hey, imagery. hey, hey, Dan. Yeah. Dan right. before, before you get before you get too far, let me ask you this: yep. Why did you All say right. three miles? Why did you just use that for a general? All right, so or, that that's where I start. The general rule of thumb is you need within a ten to twelve mile radius. You need to provide all the different. You need to provide for all the different needs a duck has. All right, all the different habitat types within a ten to twelve mile radius. Kind of what I've observed, if you look at the really true hot spots for ducks around the Delta, they're meeting the needs within three miles or less. As, as a general rule of thumb, I mean, if you look at your fighting bios or your York Woods or some of your, your public ground spots, just get on Google Earth and try it and, and see what you see. Uh, but three miles is just a general rule of thumb from what I've observed. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So that's that. That's the first thing, and, and then so you know, a lot of times I'll get a phone call. You know, a, a landowner, a property, kind of like you're talking about, and you know, as we're talking and I'm asking questions, I, I'm 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 looking on Google Earth trying to figure out what the missing piece is, because you're not well. I'm I'm not going to say you're not, but it's going to be hard, even on a thousand acre property, to to you, you can do it, but it's it's tough on a thousand acre property to meet all the needs uh, of a duck. Okay, and there are properties out there that do it. They're they're, uh, but they're they're fewer and far between. Those, those are the jewels. That's what you really look for, for a, a lease or for a, a purchase that sort of thing. So, so when we're talking about the diverse needs, get into that a little bit. I mean, why is it so difficult to meet those? You know, on I mean, when we're talking about a thousand acres, you're talking about over a mile and a half square. Right. So a lot of it is just the way that the land is in its current state, all right? Uh, in the Delta, a lot of it has been cleared for ag, and 
you know, you might give me a thousand acres with a uh, hundred and fifty acres of woods that may or may not be floodable, uh, and you know, a couple of sloughs and swags here and there, and, and you know, like you said, some flat, heavy ground over here, some rolling ground there. So, if if one of my primary needs is say, uh, you know, say flooded timber for acres, well, if I don't have that, that's going to be tough on a thousand acres. If it's a you know, more of a, you know, a, a buck brush swamp with some good thermal cover, some roosting cover. That's not just something that you can create overnight. Does that make sense? Sure. And, and, so, that's, and so that's why I kind of like to look at that little bit, little bit larger area. Now, granted, now some properties do have everything, but they're, and we look at a lot of properties and they're, you know, they're a dime a dozen. Why would a duck need acorns? Why, was it, was, why would a duck need acorns? Yeah, why would that be one of their needs? Is that a have-to-have thing? Well, I mean, if you're looking at packing fat on, that, that's one of the best. That's one of the best things for them. Gotcha. And that, that kind of gets to where we were going a few minutes ago with the different, uh, you know, the different, um, I guess, uh, energy or you know, the, the different, different needs that each type of of, of feed meets for waterfowl. What they talking about, um, you know, acorns, most everybody's familiar with, you know, obviously flooded green timber and, and you know, hunting at that, hunting that. But talk mm -hmm. a little bit about moist soil. Um, I just think it's, it, well, Rocky and, and I both have been talking about it and how overlooked it is because people, you know, generally, especially in, in Delta or low-lying areas, but really and truly anywhere, have the ability to manipulate something moist soil-wise. So can right. you speak a little bit to it about, um, you know, you don't have to go into great detail, but how to maybe take a portion of a property and, and manipulate it to where it is moist soil or take something that's existing and, and continue it in moist soil. Right, right. The biggest, the number one thing with moist soil is it takes management, period. And I think, number one, a lot of folks don't realize the value um, you know, I, I guess a lot more emphasis is given sometimes on corn or rice, you know, the hot crops uh, or flooded timber and acorns. I mean, that, that's what, you know, that's what people read about in the magazines when, when you know, when, when people are, are killing straps full of ducks. Um, but when you when you break it down and when you really look at, like we kind of discussed, the, the full nutritional requirements of waterfowl, you know, a corn or a rice or an acorn is not necessarily going to meet all those needs, um, especially if you look at it, you know, over time and as different grains degrade, as they're submerged in water and the quality decreases and this, that, and other. So number one problem is, is I think that, that moist soil is shortchanged a little bit because there's a lack of understanding of the nutritional requirements of waterfowl. I also think that moist soil is, is shortchanged a little bit is because they're there are not many, well, there are a few good, true good managers of moist soil. It's tough, all right? And it takes a lot of work. And and um, hydrology, drainage, I mean, whenever I was first hired in 2007, I was told there are three things you need to know. Most important things in the Delta are drainage, drainage, and drainage. And that is absolutely true uh, with moist soil. Because if you don't, you know, getting the water off when you need it off, I mean, that's, that's absolutely key. Otherwise, you're just going to be fighting an uphill battle.
when you talk about getting water off, can you explain to us? I mean, why that's important? You know, from what I, my understanding is, if you've got an area and you just keep water on it, um, you can't have decomp that you need because sunlight doesn't, uh, you know, get to the organic material there on the bottom to help decomposition, and in turn that puts nutrients back into it. What is that correct? And what are some of well, the other right, things? So- so, so the flip side of that is, is say you've got organic matter, so you've got, uh, you know, leaf material and debris and stuff like that on the bottom. Um, if you do keep that submerged, then guess what's going to happen? Your invertebrate populations are going to jump up, and because they've got all that detritus, that organic matter on the bottom to be feeding on. So that brings up another point, and I'm sorry I'm getting away from from your question, but it's it's another good point is that. Holding water in some situations is a good thing. And so whenever we look at a property and we talk about moist soil, the first thing we look at is drainage because that's that helps determine what type of moist soil we're going to manage for. You know, if I've got, um, you know, if, if I've got a, a poorly drained spot that would do well, you know, you know why, why am I going to fight trying to get water off an area where water really doesn't want to come off until June anyway? You know what I mean? And so I may be better mm-hmm. off on that spot, leaving my boards in until July 1st, uh, you know, drawing it down, hoping for, a, you know, getting, you know, late in those, you know, the summer drawdown, you're, you're um, looking for more of a, uh, a grass and annual uh, uh, moist soil production. You know, your sprinkle tops, your uh, barnyard grass, that sort of thing. That's your highest uh, seed producers right there in terms of, you know, pounds mm-hmm. per acre. But you also need cool. diversity because you don't, I mean, um, I mean, there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, sedges, for example, whereas they, those seeds hang on for a long time. And, and so if you look at providing, you know, duck food on into, you know, you know into February, then you need a, a diversity of species there in, in a more soil unit or in multiple units to, to provide the needs throughout that, that space over time. Dan, let me ask you this: Where where would you rank invertebrates on the duck food chart, and why? Um, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost one of those things. is It's kind of like a vegetable. You know what I mean? You know, we might we may like to eat steak and potatoes all the time, but if we don't eat some vegetables in there somewhere, we're we're probably not going to be all that healthy. And so, um, it's a very, I mean, I see it as I mean, it's an integral part of the diet and if a duck's not getting it, they're going to pick up and go to wherever they can find it. Now, what percent of their time do they use searching for invertebrates? I mean, they're going to use a lot of their their, their loafing time uh, for that. Um, and I mean, that's 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 a fair amount of their time. I I couldn't put a you know percent of the day to it, but um, uh, you know, I kind of if you look at, I, I would classify that in like I said with loaf time. So I think it's a pretty important part, but it's not necessarily something that you you strictly try to manage for individually as one individual component. Well, I've got a quick and, question let, for you. Go ahead, go ahead, Jay Paul. Go ahead. So, let's say that that you've got a field. Let's say it's been in rice, and you know every two or three years you're growing rice. Farmers got to come in and do some preventive maintenance that usually uh, you know requires some pretty heavy disking, maybe even bringing in a land plane, and if it's a zero grade and bringing it back to 
to level where he can continue to maximize his crop. So right. if you're if you're hunting on a lease out there and they've got a field that they've just you know totally disked it up, just everything under ran the land plane over it. Obviously, you're going to lose all of that grain, and it's not going to be there. But is it worth flooding to provide invertebrates for the ducks, or are you just pretty much out of luck? I mean, I, you know, it's not not top choice, but I mean, I've I've personally had some pretty good hunts over a bare flooded field. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> a lot of times, but it happens. I mean, even though, I mean, you know, a lot of these invertebrates, I mean, they're living below ground, and so I mean, it depends on the you know the how extensive your tillage operation is. But I mean, a lot of those critters are number one; they're still there. They just went deeper underground, and whenever they, you know, whenever they do start to to reappear you know i guess in some situations it's in enough number to where it it'll it'll draw some ducks in all right say a guy comes to you you know he's got a spot he wants to get y'all to come out and look at but his heart mind and soul is set on do whatever y'all have to do where i can plant and flood corn Mm -hmm. that's what like do you recommendation wise do you try to say look let's give it a 50 50 split between corn and moist soil you know if it if you know if we're able to do it or or do you just i mean how do you view corn I mean, there's a lot of people who think corn is king and there's no other way right. around it and corn right. is good but do you understand i, I don't know if i if i'm getting yeah. that across right but you, you see what i'm saying I, I do and i mean i if somebody's dead set on doing corn that my job is to make sure they understand exactly everything that that entails. And a lot of times they, a lot of folks don't know exactly what all is entailed for corn. I mean, you know, pretty much if you don't have the capacity to irrigate, it's pretty tough to have a, a you know, a, a good successful corn crop. Well, and uh, that's right to irrigate, but, and you, that water in standing corn has to be within a deep. certain that's right. It's got to yeah. be a cer- within a certain range for a duck to even right. be able to get to the food. That's um, right. And I don't that's think right. I don't think a lot of people understand that either. That's uh, right. You know, so that I've one, seen guys do that. You know, they want corn, yeah. want corn, well then they flood it, but but you know they can only hold twelve inches of water. Well, that's not. I mean, you got cover for them then, but they can't get to the food. You know. That's right. <laughs> and so so yeah. they you know learn the hard way, and I'm sure y'all see more and more of that than I. We than do. I do. Well, and, you know, we've actually got, so in 2009, the Corps of Engineers, um, they they flew an airplane over the Delta, and they collected what's called LIDAR data. And basically, they bounced the laser off the ground, and it came back to the airplane, and it gives you a, a, a real-world elevation. And so we've got some software here at the office that what it allows us to do is, is basically project where water is going to go at a certain elevation. As long as that land hasn't been leveled since 2009, we can get pretty accurate on how deep you can flood something. So it's really valuable in designing duck holes, but it also kind of gives you a, a, a more of a, a graphical, you know, display of what the potential is. And so, you know, standing on a, a turn row or on a levee looking at a field, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be kind of guessing at elevations unless you've done some surveying or this, or you've got history, you know, and you know how deep you can flood it. But you know, that's just a, a tool that allows us to provide another piece of information that, in my opinion, it, really, it can really help with the decision-making process. Well, Dan, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the invertebrates real quick. Okay. Um, 
now, now shovelers are the only ducks that feed on invertebrates, right? Because they're the only ones that have a filtration system that, you know, Not. because shovelers, shovelers are the, uh, the black sheep of the whole family. That's right. That's well, I mean, but they're not the only species that's going to feed on invertebrates now. Okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just picking with you. I'm just picking right. with you because, right, you, know, you, know, right, you, know, right. you know, you know, shovelers have such a bad name, and the main thing that they feed on is invertebrates, just like a lot of ducks. Yep. A lot of ducks feed on invertebrates. That's exactly right. Um, All right. Well, look, we're back back to designing that property again. All right. So yeah. we've got moist soil. We've got we've got corn on it. What else are we looking for? Man, when you look at the different the different wetland types, um, you got moist soil. And when I say moist soil, I'm talking about you know I, I'm aiming for for an annual grass or a you know like a, a perennial like a. Um, not necessarily a smart weed. That's not a good example, but but you know a food crop, so to speak. Um, if you step that up a little bit, uh, kind of the next category up is called a what we call an emergent marsh, and basically it's a little bit deeper. It holds water a little bit uh, more year uh, year round. You know, it may draw down to a shallow pool uh, later in the year. You're going to have cattails jumping up on the edge, that sort of thing. Um, you're eventually going to have some more woody species start to grow up. So, we, but you've also still got some of your your food crops in it as well, some of your moist soil plants. And so now we've kind of got like a say a a fifty fifty mix of of food and and cover. And so you know that's just it's a little bit different suite of moist soil plants. So you're providing a different uh, you're meeting different uh, variety of nutritional needs, but it also gives that that cover, which is a, a pretty important. Part. you know we talk about um roost cover i mean that that that's a big one um you know whether it be a you know a, a buck brush slough or some um you know or flooded timber or you know, you know if we're talking about divers deep open water I mean, whatever it may be um those are a few that i look for right there well all right let me ask you we've talked about more soil a little bit we've talked about you know picking crops or food sources for the ducks, but what about, I'm going to ask you from the standpoint of the guy out there who doesn't have control over the land that he hunts, maybe he leases it and he's at the mercy of the landowner and the farmer, I'm going to name some crops and you tell me, you know, how they rank, whether they're, and I know that it's going to change as the needs of the duck changes through the mm -hmm. course of the winter, but I'm just speaking in general terms. So let's okay. start out with corn. Yeah. Scale of one to ten, what do you give corn? I mean, overall, I mean that's 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 about as close as a, as a it's pretty close to a ten. I mean, that's going to be eight or a nine. And I could probably. Um. Now that depends. Uh, that if we're talking about an early variety. Uh, that's going to hit the hit the ground and rot down pretty quick. I mean, that's that's a whole lot less desirable than a than a later planted variety um, that I, I may actually have a chance of having a soybean there for a duck to eat at the end of January. You know what I mean? So yep. I, I might yep. I, I might place a range on, on that. You know, from a you know a five to an eight, I guess. All right, um, spice. 
Rice, that's I, I'd put it up there, you know, pretty pretty close to corn, eight, nine. It's hard to give anything uh, a perfect ten. I just can't do it. Sorghum mallow. Uh probably um I'd probably put it down around a six or seven. Six. Really? Yeah. That good. Well, I mean, all right, now you talking from a nutritional standpoint? Yeah, I'm talking yeah, about it. I'm, I'm speaking more from a from a farmer's. I'm speaking from a nutritional standpoint and a farmer's perspective. All right, is this going to be? I mean, on the Milo, I mean, it's just it's just kind of a, for those that don't deal with it, it's more of a pain to deal with. Right, but as far as the duck food goes, it's a pretty good one. It sounds like. Yes. 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 Uh, now, Milo is Milo is actually if you talk about protein, Milo is one of your better. Uh, crops for providing high, high amounts of protein. Um, let's see. What else have we not covered here? Barley. Don't know anything about barley. Any kind we don't have of, that down uh, here. <laughs> um, how about how about mil- how about mil- <laughs> how about millet? Um, I mean, millet's a good one. I mean, it's not necessarily a, a crop. I mean. You know, and again, I'm thinking from a, a farmer's row crop farmer's perspective that's that's trying to plant something for a leaseholder. That's the the mindset I'm looking from. But man, for my, I'd put it right there. You know, six, seven overall. And while we're on while we're on millet, real quick, I I bring up two things. One, Dan, what would be your your favorite go to millet variety? Uh, go go ahead with that one first. Like like if you if somebody uh, uh, said uh, you uh. have to pick one. Well, my 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 first answer was going to be a fifty fifty mix of brown top Japanese millet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, from a from a security stand, I mean, but again, it all depends on the look. Japanese millet. I mean, that's just your it's your all around. It's your it's a safe bet. I mean, it's got a pretty you know it's got your shortest uh, maturity time. It's easy to grow. I mean, it's just kind of a no-brainer. I mean, Chihuahua is a great millet. Uh, it grows it grows taller. I mean, again, that goes back to your to your flood depth. Um, you're gonna have to have a little bit longer of a growing season, but I mean, it's it's great. Uh, so again, it all kind of goes back to the site. Okay, well, on the next millet, and not really question, but but observation that 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 I've noticed, and I want to get your input on it is. People will, you know, will have an area where, um, you know, low-lying area, natural good cover and food in it, but in their mind, when the water gets off of it, they want to go in there with Roundup, spray it, kill it, and then broadcast Jap Millet. Yeah. And they, and and, and the amount of food that is not available then, but and and then you're 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 in Mother Nature's hands. Because I mean, you have a drought and you don't have anything right. out there, you know. That's right. And then right. and so so it and, and in in any type of situation, if you can control any type of water, um, and I've seen guys even do it just by open, you know, tearing open the beaver dam enough to pull the water off of it, where they'll get a flush of natural food and that's you know right. let the beavers, you know, Shot even that. Yeah. That's right. Even that it can help. So you know, there's a lot of guys that are going to say, well, we don't have flood control we don't have you know irrigation control we don't have it chances are there's some type of of natural barrier out there and if you can manipulate it you know i I just you know i really can't 
stress dude enough. I know, like I said, I know you see this exponentially more than we do. Um, so to those guys, you know, is that a definite don't do talking about the going there, you know, spray everything with Roundup right, well, and then try to plant millet? Right. Or is it just yeah. a, or let that well, natural stuff come up and mix in millet with it? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'd, I'd go out there and evaluate, man. I mean, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> we've we've been called out, you know, to come look at, you know, how do I, how do I get some millet established? What do I need to do? And you walk out there and you've already got a solid stand of barnyard grass coming on, you know. So, in that in that situation, absolutely not. Leave it alone. Let it grow. Um, uh, yeah, I mean I, I, that's a pretty risky move, and I, you know, starting over that's not something that we recommend unless you've got a lot of your uh, perennials out there, whether you know, or your morning gro- morning glory or your uh, red vine, you know, your problem weeds. And if if there's a, a good bit of that out there, even if it is mixed in with a little bit of barnyard grass or spraying on top of whatever, we may recommend discing starting over just to get your problem weeds out of the way all right so let me ask you this you just you just mentioned barnyard grass which i know is a a very great food source for ducks but a lot of people most people would consider that a very noxious grass Um, there are others out there like nutsedge Um, what are some of the others that most people would consider an undesirable that in fact for duck food are very desirable Oh, uh, <laughs> one of the funniest ones is pigweed. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> that's one of your most noxious weeds out there. But, um, but, they, that, but that, that that's stepping on some toes in the Mississippi Delta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, I couldn't get to my phone quick enough to, to come yeah, in. But, you know, that. Um, but I will say this: some of my greatest dove shoots have come over have come from when, when a ditch, when a ditch or something in a field gets grown up with pigweed. Um, I mean, birds love it; they do. But that is, yeah, I can't. I my my father-in-law hang me when he hears me say that on this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't. I, just, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't fully support that. But I. I can oh, say I, that I, and I, I was not advocating it. that. I was not advocating that. <laughs> I mean, it's not as much as a, a food source, and uh, and this is a this was the this, this was a topic on a Duck South post not long ago. Now, coffee weed is considered it is a nuisance; it can be a nuisance, uh, but I don't have as much hatred for it as, as some folks do. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you know. Uh, there's a lot of things in life that are that are okay in moderation, and that coffee weed kind of falls into that in my book um and it, but it also depends on on the particular situation I, i've just seen it be very beneficial in in areas that are that are really open uh lack a lot of of cover you know if you get if you've got a little bit of coffee weed coming up um and even if you go and maybe you know make a few pa- make some passes out in your middle with uh 24d you know while it's while it's growing and knock it back but leave some around the edge just give you a little 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 cover off a little safety zone around the edge I think that's yeah, I like 
sorry. No, I like it for that. And and I, yeah. you know, we we do that. You know, as long as it doesn't take over the whole entire, you know, deal. Right. But right. But uh, no, I like it for that. Uh, and and the ducks like it. I want I want to bring up a term, and see where you land on it. And and this is dirty rice, more or less, where a guy's gonna go out there and, and plant it and just kind of let everything go, good, right. bad, not do it, do it. Where do you land on that one? I mean, depending on your level of management, I've seen I've seen it work really well. Um, I don't know. I, I really haven't seen a whole lot of it, but um, I think I've said I know two locations I've, where it just didn't work at all, but probably two or three more where it's it, not bad at all. Um, dirty corn, I've seen a whole what they call you know quote unquote dirty corn. I mean, that's 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 obviously a very tried and true uh, method. Uh, I like it. Dan, have have you do ducks eat cuckleburrs? No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna say they don't. There's there's never any uh, for sure's or absolute positives in <laughs> anything with nature, but no, uh, we're just gonna let that one go. Seriously, they don't eat cuckleburrs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I'm not. <laughs> duck hunts I've ever been on in my life were in a cucklebur patch. That was oh, crap. Now we're going to have guys putting fertilizer on cucklebur patches and pigweed. This is going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, let me tell you, in my experience, I've always <laughs> thought that ducks do, in fact, eat cuckleburrs after they've been underwater for a while. Uh, to go after the seeds that are that are inside of them. Am I wrong about that, Dan? Uh, that 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 could be a very good possibility. That could be a very good possibility. <laughs> well, J- well, you're hey, the J- expert. Paul. I was looking for hey, some yeah, no, I, he's, <laughs> he's tiptoeing. He's tiptoeing. No, I, I'm also the one. I'm also, <laughs> you know, I, I'm also be the first person to tell you if I don't know something that I don't know something. I, I'll be and honest there. I love you That's no, it's all good. I wish Rocky could be hey, that way. Well, look, that leads me to another uh, another point that I wanted to make, and uh, and a word of advice to any you know manager or leaseholder, or landowner, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of biologists are are pretty prideful, and whenever they come out and make a recommendation, you know, that's that's the gospel, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm the exact total opposite. All right, you know, as a biologist, we we kind of, you know, and all the other biologists I went to school with, and I, I went to school with a lot of guys that work for the state, a lot of guys that work for Ducks Unlimited. You know, we all kind of received the basic, uh, you know, educational background. But as we go and we begin our profession, we all have different experiences. We all look at different properties. We all see different things. And, and all those different experiences kind of shape our opinions and the advice that we offer. So, uh, I, I welcome the opportunity to meet on a property with another biologist to kick around ideas. And I guarantee you that the landowner or manager will get more out of it if you have a, a couple different opinions out there at the same time. So I say that to say is, is that local knowledge of a property uh, trumps, you know, education of a biologist or whoever any day. And so it's you know if if I if I were a manager I, I want to take you know different uh, professional opinions but then blend it with my knowledge of what goes on on the ground because I'm the one that's there you know all through duck season there in the summer I see what the water does I see what the ducks want to do 
you know the when something really comes together in a positive manner it, it takes it takes all of that combined to really have good success in my opinion yeah and i think that's a great observation you know and that's one of the great things about ducksouth.com as a waterfowling community you know we can all draw and learn from from one another because very very few people as you said earlier know absolutely everything out there but I will say this, Dan, you brought a tremendous amount of knowledge to us today, and I've certainly learned a lot and really enjoyed having you on here. And what's really funny is I just left um, a hunt. We, we hunted this afternoon on a friend's 50-acre moist soil unit. And on that moist soil unit, he has um, 10 or 12 acres of corn. He has a combination of chihuahua and jap millet. He has uh, coffee weed out there, pigweed, a whole lot uh, of it's been grown up in natural grasses also, and a lot of it is in barnyard grass. And, I mean, he's holding several thousand ducks. Me and a buddy shot it this afternoon. We killed uh, eight greenheads, three teal, and uh, Rocky's favorite duck, one shoveler, in about an hour. <laughs> and got out of there way before dark to let the birds build back up. But, you know, if you've got a tiny little spot like that, what's your best advice? I mean, my friend, it looks like he's just put out a buffet where there are a whole lot of choices. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, that's the – all right, so the, the buffet analogy is, is, is one I use all the time. You know, if you're a duck and you're flying south down the Mississippi River, a lot of times I use it comparing Arkansas to Mississippi. but Obviously, you're going to go to the buffet with more table, with more tables and more more options out there. I mean, that's that's the natural choice. So, you know, <laughs> I would my recommendation would be to add as much diversity as the property will allow successfully, because you can try to stretch yourself, and you can you can shortchange things by you know, uh, getting a little too risky on maybe trying to plant corn where you, maybe you shouldn't plant corn or something of that nature. But, but yeah, I definitely like the, the diversity. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I like your buffet analogy, too. It seems to me like uh, it's kind of like also the parking lot analogy. You know, if you see a, two restaurants side by side and one has three cars in it and the other one, the parking lot's overflowing, where do you think the best food is? That's right. That's right. I, I think well, ducks go that way also, and that's why this afternoon we wanted to be sure and get out of there and let them build back up there in numbers. Right. How important do you think that is? Oh, I mean, I, I I do think that's that's. I mean, I I think it's pretty important. How important? I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, but I mean, that goes back to you know the the quote unquote X the spot. You know, it's that history, and you know, if if you've got birds on the ground, I mean, that's that that's a sign. That's a sign. Amen. Live decoys never hurt. <laughs> but I, I will sure. tell y'all. I, I tell you one. Speaking about the buffet, and y'all y'all can keep your eyes out for this. It'll probably be an article in the Delta Wildlife magazine, but. One thing we're doing right now, and I've been staring at a computer for two days working on this, and I'm about half brain dead, but we've been comparing the Mississippi and Arkansas deltas, looking at basically what we're trying to figure out is 
Yeah, obviously Arkansas holds more ducks. A lot of that is a function of habitat, but how much of it is a function of water? You know, how much more water is on the Arkansas landscape versus the Mississippi Delta landscape? So we've been looking at we've been looking at, we've been looking at landsat imagery, uh, and and we're doing some basically some spatial analysis to try to figure that out. So uh, y'all stay tuned on that. We're, and we're also we're also trying to we're we're timing the landsat imagery with historical aerial waterfowl surveys done by both Arkansas uh, and Mississippi Game and Fish. So that's going to be pretty interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting all that uh, a little farther down the road. That is, that's going to be, that. yeah, that's going to be some really, really cool stuff. Um, that's something Rocky and I were just talking about the other day, just, to, you know, how two states, you know, neighboring each other, obviously just split by the river, can be so diverse while right. one does you know, historically better than other, but does it really? And, you know, I, that's going to be really cool. I'm glad to hear that. I didn't know y'all had that on the horizon. So that that's really, really cool. Yeah, that's, you know, like I said earlier, we have different committees, and that's that's one thing that our waterfowl committee has asked us, the staff, to work on. So that'll be, that's, that's in progress. So that'll be coming out soon. Well, man, you have brought a tremendous amount uh, of information to us today and knowledge. and. You know, as you're talking, I keep thinking of things I'd like to ask you about, but we we would just go on and on and on. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you, if you don't mind, Dan, here in the next few weeks, we'd like to have you back on with us as a guest again and, and maybe take on some of those topics that we didn't have a chance to cover this evening. Um, before we go, Dan, it's a it's a tradition here that we all have our parting words. So, Rocky, you've been awfully quiet I'm going to start with you before I close it out here, brother. Um, you know, give me your give me your parting thoughts. I had to be awfully quiet. You you were cursing me through text message saying that my mic wasn't working. What did you say? I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, shut up, shut up. We can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I wanted you to speak up. I couldn't hear you at all. All right. So anyway, do you have a parting observation or not? <laughs> no. <laughs> J J Paul wasn't cursing me. He was just saying, "Speak up." But but here, one thing that I will: ducks do eat cockerbirds. <laughs> I believe it. I agree with you totally, Rocky. So, Rocky, you said it. It's got to be true. Ducks eat cockerbirds. How about you, Josh? Parting thoughts? I, I'm kind of with you, Jay Paul. There's a thousand things that I want to keep asking and saying and asking and saying, but we'll just, we're going to have to have you back on, Dan. I mean, this has been a really, really fun time. So I, text, I was texting Rocky, Jay Paul, and Lewis, and I was having way too much fun picking your brain. Uh, so we're, we're, gonna, we're just going to have to have you back on, but I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do it because I, I really think it's some be some really, really helpful and, and neat information. Yeah, I would definitely second and third that, Dan. Um, I want to throw one thing in here because a few weeks ago we had Dave Reynolds from Excel Boats as our guest, and he's out in Utah in the Pacific Flyway, and he made the observation that in the early season they kill a lot of green-winged teal, and, and they see a lot of green-winged teal that are hens, and they really don't start seeing the drakes until later on. And so today we were hunting in Missouri, and it's you know the the end of November, first of December. It's early in the season for our part 
of the country, and uh, we shot some teal, and I thought it was crazy because I never really paid attention by the time of year that in the in the teal that we saw, um, they were almost all hens. All three of the birds that we killed were hens, and I just wanted to throw that out there because Dave made that observation about Utah, and maybe it was just coincidence, maybe it wasn't, but it appeared that there's something to that because all we saw today were uh, were hens, um, and that's that's the last that I've got on that. Dan, anything you'd like to add before we close it out here? Well, that's a, that's an interesting point, and it's I'm trying my my best to draw from my memory in some waterfowl classes, but that was a really long time ago. But I'm pretty sure that uh, that the drakes split off from the hens uh, a couple weeks into nesting. Uh, if I'm if I'm not getting it confused with my species, so that 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 makes a, that makes a lot of sense in seeing that that they would be separate separately, coming in separate flights. Wow, that yeah. So if they've split apart, they it just may it may not be that they're migrating earlier. It could be just that we're seeing groups of hens and groups of drakes, and later on when they come closer to mating time, they'll join in. Or it could be that the hens are migrating earlier than the drakes. But that certainly makes sense. They split up after nesting and don't come back together uh, until it's time to pair up. Right. You know, you would. Because I've also seen days where it seemed like we couldn't shoot anything but a drake till. So, once again, they're sharing information, and it, you know, comes together to shed a little bit more light on it and make a lot of sense. By the way, uh, before we close it out here, also I want to remind everyone that as always, today's podcast was brought to you in part by Hardcore Brands and Hardcore Decoys. Hardcore, makers of some of the most innovative and durable products out there. And Hardcore, a few weeks ago, launched their new website. It's changing every day. Hardcore-brands.com if you want to check that out. Well, guys, we've got to go here. Uh, we've been at this for almost an hour now. so. Uh, once again, Dan, it was great having you. Can't wait to have you back again. Josh, Rocky, really, really good stuff. Rocky, man, I know that the con stealers there in full rut. So, buddy, I hope you keep on protecting your nuts. And with that, I hope all of our listeners out there have enjoyed this edition of the On The X podcast powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>